Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. Welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy, and we have a very special returning guest today, Fred Gallagher. If you recall Fred from just a few episodes ago, he's quite an expert on energy, both in the oil and gas field, as well as wind, solar, nuclear. We've talked about kilowatt generation, the demands around the world for energy. Today, we're going to be focusing on hydrogen. It's a, it's a great topic, and it's our honor to have someone that really knows this. The Common Bridge, of course, is at Substack.com. Just go to Substack.com, enter The Common Bridge. It's on most podcast outlets, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Buzzsprout, and as well as YouTube TV. So Fred's full biography is out on our links, so please look into that. Fred, welcome back to The Common Bridge. Sure good to have you. Thanks, Rich. Great, uh, great fun to do this with you. I really enjoyed the last session and uh, look forward to this one. Yes, it's a, it's really a unique background that you've got so well-rounded in energy and your ability to see things from a 360-degree view and such a, a learned perspective. It's really refreshing. We you know we have advocates of renewables never going to work, and we have other people that are saying, hey, we've just got to stop oil and gas right now. So I'm really happy that you're joining us today. It's been my life's work, actually, uh, and uh, when I look at it, my whole career has really been focused on how do you how do we bridge between silos within the within the energy business and you know for the longest time the petroleum sector thought it was the energy business and when i went back and did a into business school i realized that no the energy business is a lot bigger than just, than just the petroleum business and so that really uh, opened my eyes at that point in time way back then and uh, and i've spent most of my career really trying to bridge uh, between those silos, trying to figure out how do we deal with this incredibly complex and uh, diverse uh, industry. And one of the key takeaways that I got from our first session was thinking about where something's combusted. So <laughs> I, I quit looking at the gasoline in my tank as energy, it's fuel, but it's not energy until it gets burned. And you know, similarly, that electric power that generates fuel for my hybrid, it's not really fuel until it gets combusted and transmitted. And you had a lot to say about transmission as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's when you think of energy, it's, it's been a fascinating development. I mean, if you think back to our days when we would kick, cook over open fire stoves and uh, uh, or open fires, uh, yeah, it, it's it, fire and combustion is is sort of uh, intrinsic to the human experience over the last uh, 10, 15,000 years at least. Uh, and and really, when you uh, when you think about it, um, you, most of our processes are combustion processes because they are they've been conveniently uh, really well developed. Uh, and electricity has taken some time to really. Uh, develop over time, and it and it is it is one of those things that's fascinating because it's 
the use of electricity when you when you actually take the energy from electricity and you put it into motion if you will uh, or or use it for motive force is about four times as efficient as as combusting uh, you know essentially mm. 65 to 70 percent of combustion goes off as as waste heat uh, so so really electricity has been a revolutionary change to the way in which we uh, we really use uh, uh, create and use energy, and and it's really only you know been what hundred hundred years uh, plus a little bit more than hundred years that we've been using electricity. So you you really get a a feel for how new it is, and and we really need to think about it in terms of how do we how do we actually make more, if you will, zero emissions energy carriers like electricity, and that's kind of the subject of what we want to talk about today. Indeed, and I think you've hit on a couple of points that caused me to think. You mentioned open fires, so our prehistoric ancestors cooking over open fires. I don't think there was a prehistoric, you know, Democrat or conservative party or or what have you saying, "Hey, that's our fire." It, it was, you know, the energy that was needed to uh, enhance the human experience. Uh, we've done that with electricity. And that's what the Common Bridge is all about. Let's get away from the partisanship and let's talk about the issues of the day and, and maybe some solutions. And, and Fred, you are talking today about a, a case for hydrogen. And before we got on the air, you said that the largest decarbonization opportunities for the United States are in transportation and industrial heat. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, currently... Some eighty to ninety percent of our our uh, energy that we utilize is is really from hydrocarbons, like directly from hydrocarbons, and as a consequence, uh, you know, transportation. Uh, when we talk about cars and trucks and and uh, trains and uh, vessels, uh, boats, uh, are, it, they're all driven by hydrocarbons. And and what this really boils down to is that uh, it was a very uh, efficient and easy way to get energy from uh, hydrocarbons, to and then and then really transport it and and essentially put it in that point of use. Uh, and the liquid hydrocarbons, you know, previously we used coal and wood, etc., to uh, to which are hydrocarbons to to produce our energy. Uh, but the advent of liquid hydrocarbons, petroleum's, uh, really made it. Uh, immensely more versatile and that we could use it in all kinds of mobile sources which is really which really was the the catalyst that created the um, the vehicle the car the, the the ability to to move great distances with uh, with energy that you carried on your back or basically carried in the gas tank that kind of makes sense then that with so much of the greenhouse emissions coming at the customer's endpoint, the combustion going out the tailpipe, that this focus on tailpipe emissions is, is, a, is an appropriate policy, if I'm understanding what you're telling me. Well, I think it's, I think it's very uh, appropriate to be, to be looking at it from a point of view of the, the, the billions of tailpipes around the world that, that are emitting uh, carbon or CO2 and, uh, and greenhouse other greenhouse gases. Um, but in some ways, we've kind of, we're not looking at it the right way around. Uh, you know, we've got billions of these tailpipes out there spewing uh, emissions. Uh, you know, what the the beauty of electricity is that it really uh, it, it really has taken the emissions out of those processes that use electricity, 
uh, essentially it's a zero emissions carrier that at the point of use uh, doesn't produce any emissions. And I think we need to think about how do we change our current energy delivery system for 80 to 90% of the energy that we that we're using and and make it the same the same way meaning that we centralize the the uh, resolution of carbon we 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 store it we sequester it we utilize it uh, centrally and we just put pure energy down the down the pipe or down the or down the uh, the electrical transmission line that makes a tremendous amount of sense now you're going to have to go in very basic steps here, how hydrogen might fit in to this. And I know you've done a great deal of study, and, and when we've talked offline, you're very enthusiastic about this. But for our listeners, our readers, and our viewers, how exactly do we use hydrogen to generate that cleaner? electricity that's going to power us? Well, hydrogen itself is uh, is not an energy source as such. Uh, hydrogen's part of so many molecules on, on Earth, and it's really the most abundant element on Earth. Uh, and it, it, it really is the base of hydrocarbons. Uh, when we say hydrocarbons, it's carbon with a lot of hydrogen attached to it. And that hydrogen is really the, the, the source of the uh, of the combustion energy, if you will, uh, associated with with hydrocarbons, and and it, so what this boils down to is it's really about separating the carbon from the hydrogen or the hydrogen from the carbon, and that's really where we can take hydrocarbons and we can strip the hydrogen from it, and this is a typical process that's used abundant in abundance uh, in uh, refining areas because they need hydrogen. They need pure hydrogen to be able to uh, upgrade oils and those sorts of things. And, and essentially, we strip the hydrogen off of natural gas, for instance, and we we use that hydrogen directly to, uh, to for either energy or for or or, or to, uh, to upgrade petroleum. Instead um, of so the carbon, the carbon then is either goes off as CO2 or it it can be easily uh, stored or sequestered in uh, underground reservoirs or in in uh, various uh, sequestering opportunities. So the, 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 essentially what it boils down to is that, that hydrogen is all around us uh, in water, in hydrocarbons, in uh, uh, nitrogen fertilizers, uh, so it, it's all around us in terms of in terms of uh, where it's located. It's really a matter of how do we make best use of that. And so, uh, you know, one of the key ways that can be used is can be can create pure hydrogen. So if you take pure hydrogen and you and you utilize that hydrogen, it it's a uh, it essentially carries the energy without the carbon. To the to the end user, and so the first compound or material that goes in from where the hydrogen is going to be stripped off are these necessarily hydrocarbons? Like it has to be natural gas, for example, or what other inputs would be used? No, I think that's a great question from a point of view of where is hydrogen, and it's it's all around us. Some some hydrogen sources are more easily. Uh, more, more, more easily liberated, if you will. Hydrocarbons, the hydrogen is more easily liberated than water, for instance. Water, uh, water is hydro two hydrogen and one oxygen. That's the, mm -hmm. that's the basis of, of water. And so you can strip the hydrogen off of the oxygen, and that's a source of, of hydrogen. And in fact, uh, the 
you've probably heard of the technique of electrolysis, which is essentially taking water and putting electricity into that water through a, a sort of an electrode and essentially producing hydrogen and, and oxygen from that water. Uh, so, so water's, a, but it's a, it's a higher energy threshold uh, reaction, meaning that it requires more energy to strip hydrogen from water. Uh, and, and as a consequence, or strip hydrogen from the oxygen, and, and as a consequence, it tends to be uh, something that, that has a higher energy requirement and consequently a higher cost. Uh, now, there are a lot of things that are happening in the, in the marketplace today and in, the, in technology today that's working to either uh, establish catalysts by which that can be, uh, that energy requirement can be brought down and also, uh, you know, new ways in which, in which that can be stripped. You know, for instance, uh, one of the interesting technologies that's happening right now is direct solar energy to hydrogen and and that's taking water and splitting the hydrogen and oxygen uh, by solar energy direct solar energy rather than through mm. an intermediary like electricity so there are many ways to produce hydrogen and that's the exciting part of this uh, is you know in basic concept we need more than one zero emissions uh, energy carrier so right now we've got electricity but we need more because electricity, while it's fabulous, is not as versatile as we need. It's not very good for heat. It's not very good for transportation, uh, heavy transportation, largely because it's hard to store. Uh, it's not very good for, for industrial processes and production of chemicals, production of fertilizers, all those sorts of things require, at this point in time, hydrocarbons and electricity doesn't necessarily do a very good job of any of those. And, and, and as a consequence, we really have this, this need for the second uh, carrier. And what's holding us up is, in some ways, uh, you know, the, the purpose of, of what we're talking about, which is a, bipart is a partisan view that somehow the color of the hydrogen, in other words, how it's produced, matters. Um, in actual fact, as long as, as long as the carbon element is taken care of, we should, we should not care about what, what, what the source of the hydrogen is. What we should be most excited about is using hydrogen. Yeah. Let me, let me see if, if I can, this may be a very basic question and um, will show either great insight or great ignorance. And <laughs> with that as a basis, it, it seems if we strip hydrogen off of natural gas, we have a byproduct of CO2 that we have to sequester, bury, figure out some way to neutralize before it goes back into the environment. Uh, but if the input material is water, then the byproduct is pure oxygen modules, which seem to me they would be helpful, but we can't produce as much hydrogen off of water net for the energy expenditure the, as we can off of natural gas. How close am I coming to understand that, Fred? Well, I, think, I think that's that's a very good way to look at it. I mean, one of the things that we've, we've got is, uh, one, a higher energy requirement for hydrogen from water. Uh, as we said, technologically, some of that may be uh, being solved. We also have... Uh, you know, a lot of places, limitations on water. Well, how much fresh water do we have? And how much mm -hmm. fresh water do we have available, especially in certain areas of the world? Uh, so, so that becomes a limiting factor. We also have this uh, energy system of delivery, of production and delivery of hydrocarbons 
that if we can think of it as essentially refining that product to the to its elements, which is hydrogen and carbon, and figuring out we can dis- we can deal with the carbon by storage or use or sequestration of some sort. The hydrogen can come off of that much in a much lower cost system, and we already have a significant portion of delivery or significant infrastructure to deliver hydrogen through pipes, etc. Now, there there are technological things that will need to be done in order to adapt to hydrogen. But the, the ability to use the existing capital stock, meaning the, the stuff that's already paid for, <laughs> the stuff mm-hmm. that's uh, got years of service still left and has already been paid for, versus replacing that with a whole new system, uh, is is very powerful because the cost can come down rather dramatically of, of, of producing hydrogen and getting our, our systems and our use of hydrogen online. In other words, creating the market for hydrogen or getting a market for hydrogen, uh, regardless of source, will get, help us cl- uh, close in on these goals much more quickly than than with if we if we try to produce all the hydrogen in the world through elect- through electrolysis. And it does require fresh water. It's not, it can't be salt water or anything like that. Well, it can be salt water, but the salt water has to be deionized. It has to be it essentially has to be purified to be fresh water. Uh, otherwise, it clogs the it clogs the the whole system. The uh, the salts associated with, uh, with seawater. Probably a topic for another day is the water supply around the globe, particularly in parts of our southwest right now. You know, here in the upper Midwest, things seem to be pretty good. We have we have a lot of it. I'm always plugging the Great Lakes area. I can't help it. Sorry. <laughs> I know you're a homer. Yeah, indeed I am. <laughs> so I understand that hydrogen is a multi-purpose energy carrier and that there's going to need to be investment to make this reality spread further and, and you know, get to be more powerful where it can drive a an ocean-going freighter, whether it can drive a factory or not. So how does hydrogen perform against electricity when you're talking about those heavy load applications? I think it's really about power to weight ratio. Uh, I think passenger cars are probably pretty much an electrical vehicle is an electrical uh, opportunity. You know, it's really largely uh, the, uh, one of the better uh, uses of electricity. Now that we've got batteries that can that can really accommodate the kind of uh, uh, durability and the kind of longevity that we need. I think passenger cars definitely can can move electrically very quickly, and and I think that that's a that's a really good way to move. Where the problem comes is where you're trying to move heavy heavy weights, whether it be uh, transporting all kinds of different things that we transport, either from a marine point of view or from a or from a uh, if you will uh, trucks moving across the country. This is where hydrogen really shines. You know, one, you probably have a centralized uh, filling facility versus, let's say, passenger cars where it's distributed all over the place. Electricity does that really well because we've already got this electrical distribution system. But um, from truck point of view, you can have a centralized filling facility. The second point is that you can carry hydrogen. You can carry a lot of hydrogen. It's light and you can carry a lot of hydrogen. Uh, it doesn't add significantly to the weight of the of the material you're trying to transport. 
And that's where electricity is tough because the batteries are heavy. Mm -hmm. and batteries yes. essentially are dead weight um, from that point of view, whereas hydrogen is not. Hydrogen is not a dead weight. So, so hydrogen really can fill the, the, if you will, the heavy transport type uh, uh, field. And I think that's, that's one of the great uses of it in the transport sector. The other thing is that it's it's a it's a base for uh, fertilizers already. From so your nitrogen fertilizers are largely hydrogen, and essentially what happened is they take natural gas, they remove the hydrogen, and they attach it to nitrogen, and you basically make nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, and that that really is the the source of most of our uh, nitrogenous fertilizers today is that process. And it's huge. Uh, you can't do that with electricity <laughs> or no. not efficiently, right? right. Uh, so so this, this is a, a great opportunity for hydrogen. And it, it's now a number of hydrogen, a number of fertilizer producers are now looking at sequestering the carbon in their process. And when you say sequestering, what does that mean? There's a couple of different things. I mean, there's storage, which is put it into the ground and you know, it's not a tank in the ground, but it's a reservoir in the ground. We already have a number of established reservoirs where uh, where that can be easily uh, uh, stored. We know it, the technology, the technology well-proven that we can store uh, long-term, we can store CO2 underground. The second piece is uh, the, the idea of sequestering. And so sequestering is, again, finding a way to uh, to take that carbon and put it away more permanently. And in certain rock types, essentially, CO2 can be sequestered in the rock, meaning that the rock mm. absorbs uh, the, the CO2. And in fact, cement absorbs uh, CO2 very uh very productively and adds to the strength of the cement. Um, so, so essentially, uh, the the CO two can be. So, when we say sequestered, it's put away permanently. So, there's storage, there's permanent uh, permanent sequestration, and then there's end use, like carbon fibers, for instance, for all manner of different uh, different applications that we have, from golf clubs to uh, um, yeah, and tennis rackets to uh, uh, airplane wings. Uh, that that uh, carbon is such a light element that it and it's such a strong element. It's it's a great building block uh, for many 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 different different things. We haven't really explored the full uses of carbon at this point in time, uh, but because it's been relatively expensive to actually get the carbon fiber that we have. But if we have an abundance of carbon, I think we're going to find a lot more specific uses for carbon than we uh, than we currently have. Fred, this is very fascinating, and the idea that maybe water is a source, and and which would, you know, I guess wouldn't have to do anything with the oxygen or you know the CO two. We figure out some way to get that into the green plant system. But big question here for you: if you didn't have investment considerations, what would be the path to go from where we are today to using hydrogen? as our chief source of energy what would we need to do as a world it's it's really about speed uh at this point in time uh it's hard to it's hard to separate the uh the investment part from the from from what you're asking which is which is uh you know trying to take that out of it but i, I would look at it and say uh, being able to to one uh 
you know, we're trying to get to this net zero emissions goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, how fast can we get there? And the reason why I say how fast can we get there, it's because the faster we get there, the longer the window we have to actually uh, get to, uh, the faster we can get down the curve, let's put it that way, the faster we can get down the curve, uh, the longer the period of time that we actually have to come up with lower cost technological solutions and accommodate the normal, if you will, capital stock turnover that we we need to to respect. so, so when I say that, I say, okay, I I think the we, it's already well proven that you can get hydrogen simply, cheaply, and and uh, abundantly from hydrocarbons. We already have the source of the hydrocarbons. We already have the transportation network, and you can either make use of the transportation network to to transport hydrogen, or you can make use of the transportation network to 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 uh, take the hydrocarbons to the point at which the the uh, hydrogen is produced. Uh, or the other piece that's that's really becoming exciting is the whole idea of blending. So a lot of our a lot of our current furnaces, for instance, yeah, furnace in your home, the uh, stove that you cook your your uh, dinner on, the uh, you know many natural gas uh, uses lend themselves very well to, uh, to uh, if you will, a, a, a combination of natural gas and hydrogen. And the, the value of that is that if you can get up to 20% hydrogen into the natural gas system, all of a sudden you've reduced the amount of carbon that's being, that's actually being emitted on the other end. So there's, there's an opportunity for these intermediate uh, ways to get to our goals quicker uh, or, or get down the curve quicker on the on the front end, so that we got more time to make sure that we get the rest of the puzzle uh, worked out in the most cost effective and efficient fashion. You know something, Fred. Every time I talk to you, I get optimistic about the future. <laughs> in that, it you know, if you read or listen to what passes for news these days. You think it's an intractable problem. We can't possibly get there. It's, oh, it's just too many barriers ahead. And you sit down here and you logically lay out a plan. Here we could do this, could do that, give me great examples. You know, I used my outdoor grill yesterday with natural gas. And I say, oh, yeah, through that same pipe, you could put hydrocarbons through there. And now I'm emitting 20% less gases and such. Fred, this is really fascinating science. I know we've got to unwrap some of the economics, and I understand that you're working on that. But for our listeners, our viewers, and our readers, if they were to take away maybe some conclusions about what a hydrogen-powered future might look like, pessimistic, optimistic, or maybe better, just what might we be thinking about? The key thing to think about here is that hydrogen is not a substitute for electricity, uh, nor is electricity a substitute for hydrogen, but they are both complementary energy carriers. And hydrogen just adds an enormous amount of flexibility to our ability to meet those net zero emissions uh, targets. Uh, And as a consequence, really the future of hydrogen is really how quickly can can it penetrate the energy use space? Because really, we've got those billions of tailpipes out there producing emissions 
And if we can if we can bring that down and and be able to to reduce the amount of carbon that's being put into the atmosphere through through a hydrogen carrier that can substitute for a lot of the combustion processes we've been talking about really is is kind of the, the fundamental part of this. And right now the debate in the conversation is really structured around what color is it? What color is the hydrogen? And unfortunately, uh, you know, as we discussed really early on, it's, it's become kind of a partisan battle, which doesn't make any sense at all. The fact is, hydrogen is this great zero emissions energy carrier that can be burned, and it can be used to make electricity, and it can be it, it can be used to make chemical uh, uh, precursors for all the all the number of products mm-hmm. that we use. So it really allows for a greater portion of the energy use chain to to essentially be to to essentially become zero emissions. Uh, so. You know, provided that you've you've properly stored or sequestered or utilized the carbon, the main question is cost, not how it's produced. And it's really about how can we make use of all of what we've built in this energy system to the greatest advantage in in meeting those goals that we're t- we keep talking about. You know, I'm I, I am a an optimist. You know, you said that earlier on. I'm an optimist and I, I look at it and I say, okay, well, a hundred years ago, a little more than a hundred years ago, we couldn't fly. Uh, you know, a little more than a hundred years ago, we didn't even have electricity. Uh, you know, we were, we were still in the steam engine era. We didn't have cars. Uh, you know, I, I think it's Bill Gates who said, uh, things look really hard and really long into the future when you're looking forward. But when you look at them in the rear view mirror, <laughs> they happen really fast. And that, th- this is where we really need to to get over ourselves a little bit on on this debate as to what is the what is the best way to produce hydrogen. We know hydrogen is a an essential element of meeting net zero. How we produce it shouldn't matter right now. The critical point is how do we get it into the market? How do we get the market to to uh, uh, accept it? How do we get the supply chain for hydrogen? Uh, built appropriately, and how do we efficiently meet those and cost-effectively meet those emissions goals now and in the future? So that's why I love your program, Rich, the Common Bridge, because hopefully a lot of this kind of discussion starts people thinking about, well, okay, how can we do this uh, more uh, on a more uh, bipartisan or nonpartisan fashion? First of all, my compliments to you for educating our audience and me deeply. I think we've just scratched the surface of this. But one of the things I'd say to my listeners, viewers, readers is this. Isn't it curious that with these great media systems set up on, you know, whatever channel, can't, you know, cable, internet, broadcast, radio, TV, and so forth. How come there's not a Fred Gallagher talking about, here's how we get to net zero emissions? Instead, how much energy is spent in the partisan wars that do nothing but enrich side A versus side B and so forth? And that's why we're inviting everyone to step out of the echo chambers and step onto the common bridge, because I think together we can build a better future if we start dealing with science like Mr. Gallagher brings to us, optimism and that can-do spirit. And with our guest today, 
with deep gratitude, Fred Gallagher. This is Rich Helpy signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Please subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com, where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to Substack.com and search for The Common Bridge and subscribe.